Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Imagine with me that before you were born, someone set up a trust fund for you. And they put in this trust fund one quadrillion dollars. Now, how many zeros are after the one in a million dollars? Six. What is it when there's nine zeros after one? I should make this front row answer, but I won't do that. How many, what, what is it when there's nine zeros after one? It's a billion. What is it when there's 12 zeros after one? It's a trillion. When there's 15 zeros after the one, it's a quadrillion. So imagine if someone put a quadrillion dollars in your trust fund. Just to give you an idea, our global debt in 2020 was $226 trillion. So if you take every nation, every country, no matter what size, in the entire world, and you added up all of their debt, it was $226 trillion. So you could take your trust fund and pay off the entire global debt and still have $774 trillion left over. It's a big number. And imagine when you were born, from the time you were born until 25 years old, when you would receive the rest of the trust fund, imagine for every month of your life until you were 25, you received $3 million a month to live on. And then on your 25th birthday, you received the rest of it. But how many think you could figure out a way to eke out a living on $3 million a month? We could do it. We could do it. After 25 years of receiving $3 million a month to live on, you wouldn't have even scratched the surface of the rest of the trust fund that you received at 25. In fact, you wouldn't have even used up one one millionth of that trust fund. It's an insane amount of money. And in today's passage, we're gonna see that God has set up something similar to a trust fund, a spiritual trust fund for us. But what he's put in our trust fund is something that's actually far more valuable than a quadrillion dollars. He's put something in our trust fund that he's given us something that will enable us to handle absolutely anything that happens to us as life shows up at our doorstep and be able to maintain composure and peace and hope and joy, to have a lightness of being about ourselves in a heavy world. Our inheritance from God will enable us to live in 100% confidence that we will, have always have, we will always have everything we need and everything's going to turn out magnific- magnificently in the end. On Tuesdays, I spend a, a chunk of time, I, Monday's my day off, so Tuesdays, I spend a, a chunk of time reading through the passage for the week. And um, usually just a couple of hours just rereading it over and over, sometimes reading the whole book that we're teaching out of, just to just to get an idea of the context and really try to wrap my head and my heart around the passage and what it's saying. So I also listen to Dwell. If any of you guys have Dwell, it's a really, really, really good app. You can 
Um, you can listen to scripture with multiple different voice options and people from different countries reading scripture, different paces and different programs. It's, it's a really, really good app, Dwell app. So I, I listen to that um, often on Tuesdays. I listen to the passage there. This week, this Tuesday, actually, because of one of the words that's used in this passage, I skimmed through every epistle in the New Testament. I just like sped read. It took me two, three hours to, to go through all of those, but there's, there's a word in here, inheritance, that describes what we receive, what's available to us in Christ. And I wanted to, I wanted to like wrap my head big picture around that word, and it was a thrill to actually read really, really quickly through all of the epistles in the New Testament. It was actually really amazing and enlivening, and I, I discovered that there's no way we can possibly comprehensively cover all the things that are available to us in Christ. Um, but we're going we're gonna to put a little tiny bit of a dent in it, and I'm going to take a couple weeks actually to do it. So what I want to do is start with Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 11. If you have your Bibles you want to turn there, you can do that. You can turn your phone on and follow along if you want to do that. Or you can just follow in the bulletin. If you have a bulletin, the notes are, the notes are there and the passages in the bulletin. So Ephesians 1, as we're on this slow stroll, we call it, through this wonderful, difficult book of Ephesians. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So I've been promising you we'd tackle this word predestined, and um, you can, I know it's triggering for a lot of us because of the ways it's been weirdly abused and um, explained in some unhelpful ways. So I, I just want to take a moment. We're not going to dedicate an entire thing to it. I just want to take a moment and very gently talk about this. Uh, to be predestined means that God decided before creation what was going to happen. And more specifically, we talk about the word election. You hear the word election sometimes in Scripture. It's not talking about like a voting process. It's talking about um, the idea that God somehow ordains who's going to be a part of his family and who isn't. And it's a tricky subject, and it's, it is very triggering, and so I, I want to be very, very careful about it. And to be honest with you, I've read thousands and thousands of pages on this word, and that is honestly not an exaggeration. And I've probably written hundreds of pages on it in research papers for seminary and all sorts of stuff. And for four years, I was formally academically trained in a theological institution of a theological family that claims to have wrapped their heads around this word predestined and claims to, to understand it. And that's one of the dangers of theological academics. You can actually begin to know more than the Bible reveals. So it's dangerous. And there's been more written about that word than the Bible, than every word in the Bible. There's a lot of opinions and there's a lot of jumps that people make in trying to figure out what it says. So I want to share what I do know for sure, and then we're going to move on. And it's really good news. It's actually really good news. We're not going to get technical because um, I don't think that would be helpful. Here's what I know. If our doctrine of predestination or election contradicts the love of God, something sticking out of the, new, of the suitcase. Doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. So if the way that you think and understand about whatever you believe about predestination or, or election, if it doesn't fit in the context of the love of God, then you don't quite have it yet. 
Um, the second thing is God has a rescue plan in place before the accident ever happened. I talked about that last week. Like God, was, God knew where we were going to screw things up. God knew there was going to be an accident there. And I said he didn't just put an ambulance there. He built a hospital there. He knew we were going to mess it up, and he already had a plan out of it, a plan for us to be a part of his, his spiritual family and kingdom forever. And Pastor Al said something a couple weeks ago, and I, think, I don't think anything else needs to be said about it. Uh, and I hope you all wrote it down the first time. If you didn't, you should write it down. I'll just repeat it for you now. He said, and this is eloquent and beautiful. This is perfect. This is predestination. This is election. Before you set your heart on God, God set his heart on you. Remember he said that? That's perfect. There, there's not really anything else that needs to be said about it. So thanks for doing the heavy lifting on that one. And fourth, finally, this is really important. Our mission is a rescue operation. And we don't get to decide who we go after. We don't pick and choose who we're going to go after and who we're not going to go after. We go after everyone with the gospel of Jesus. And we let them and Jesus sort the rest out. But we go after everyone. Now, these are the things that I know. Everything else is currently above my pay grade on this subject. And if you would have asked me before all those thousands of pages of reading about it, I would have given you a very confident answer as, as to what it means. But I'm less confident now. And if you force me into a corner and you come up to me after service and you say, I know that some people choose to spend life forever with God and some people choose to spend life forever without him, give me the specifics on why and how God is at work in all of that. I would be forced to say, I don't know. That's my answer. I don't know. And I think Paul ventures a guess if you're interested in Romans 9. He ventures a guess, and it's a good one. But beyond that, I'm, I can't say much more. All right, good enough. We're not going to ask for questions. And I'm not going to answer your questions if you raise your hand right now, Jesse. Let's keep going. Verse 12, so that we who first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, which is the most beautiful and succinct definition of the gospel in scripture. Besides all the particulars of how it happened through Christ's death and resurrection, in him, you also. It means everything that's true of Jesus in relationship to the Father is now true of you. In Christ, you also, you have everything that he has as a son. You have it as a son and daughter. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. When you receive God's gift of salvation through the gospel, you also receive him. You receive the Holy Spirit. And this is in your notes. The Holy Spirit was given to us as promised as a down payment, as a guarantee that one day we will receive the rest of Jesus' promise to us. So Jesus promised some things. One of those things is the Holy Spirit. We see in this passage, boom, got it. And it's a guarantee since he gave us that part of the promise that we're going to get the rest of the promise too. So what I want to do is look at this place in John 14, and it's in your notes, so you don't have to turn there. But 
I want us to see where Jesus makes these promises. So in John 14, um, he promised us first the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to read it. John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to be taken away. He's speaking very plainly about what's going to happen. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's talking about after he leaves. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the, Lord, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is where Jesus was saying, it's actually better. You're going to actually have a more intimate relationship with me if I leave, because then I'll ask the Father and he'll send the Spirit, and the Spirit will be with you forever. you never be, never be alone again. And in, John, in Ephesians 1.13, we see the promise was fulfilled when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if a person in the ancient Near East put a, a seal on a legal document, what they were saying was everything that is written, every payment promised, um, every you know, task that's promised that I will fulfill, all of everything in this contract, everything in this legal document, I am putting my seal on it and I am personally guaranteeing it will happen. So much as I am responsible for, with my seal, it's a promise. I'll finish it. I'll do it. I'll do what I say I'm going to do in this document. And seals were also used to mark ownership of property in that time. So what we're seeing in this passage is when God puts his seal on us, the Holy Spirit, he's guaranteeing, you are mine. You are now my son or daughter, and I'm giving you the spirit to permanently mark you as my own. And I will fulfill every promise I made to you. Wednesday night, we have this great class in here. We have, it's a deep transformation class, and we're talking about um, six words that mark what a genuinely transformed life in Christ looks like, and what are the dynamics, and how does that work, and uh, this past Wednesday, we, we talked about our union with Christ, and there was a great discussion around, is it possible to lose your salvation? I mean, what does this church believe as far as if you become a Christian, is it ever possible for you to not be a Christian again? And the answer is no. It's not possible to not be a Christian again after you've, you've come into relationship with Christ. If it was a genuine act of faith and the spirit has come and lived inside of you the spirit's not going to leave you it's in the same way if you're if you're a father and your kids start acting up and being disobedient you're never going to get to the place where you say okay that was that was the one that I won't forgive now now we're done you're out of the family you are no longer my kid like no dad would would do that no loving dad would do that and God's not like that so he would he's not going to kick us out of the family once we are part of his his family. And this, there's a multitude of passages that talk about that, but this passage is actually one of them, that once God seals you as part of his family, marks you as his, he's not going to remove the Holy Spirit and say, nah, never mind, I changed my mind. Doesn't work, doesn't happen that way. Once you are in God's family, you are in. 
So Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. What's the second thing he promised in John 14? This is actually before he even promised the Spirit. He promised an inheritance. John 14, verses 1 through 3, says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. This probably meant a lot to them. These guys had lived for, with Jesus for three years. They had a ton of affection for him. They loved him. They didn't want him to leave. And he's saying, I'm, I'm making another place for us to live together. And I'm going to come back so that where I am, you can be with me forever. But it's going to... It's going to get rough for a couple minutes first. You know, in that day, a groom would, um, before they were married, sometimes like the weddings would be a week-long celebration, which would be really cool to do that. Week-long celebrations, and the groom would go ahead of time and prepare a place for his bride. So he would go, and sometimes his dad would help him or his mom, and they would, you know, fix this place up and decorate it and, and put everything in it to pamper his, his future bride. And he wanted it to be a, a perfect place for her that would meet all of her needs and that would be beautiful and enjoyable. He spent a lot of time preparing this place. And the Bible compares Jesus. It says that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. So he's preparing a place for us. This is what he's pointing to. I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for us to be together, a city this time instead of a garden. You know, the creation began with Jesus hanging out with people in a garden. It ends with people hanging out with Jesus in what actually looks like a city, a garden city. There's garden elements into it, but it's actually also a city. Not like Garden City, New Jersey. It's going to be a lot different than that, but it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. In fact, in Revelation 21, 1 through 2, you know, John's on this island in Patmos, and he's been, it's kind of like a jail. John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he was segregated from the rest of the, the ancient world at that time and put, him, put in this island, and he had this vision one day. And here's what he saw. Here's one of the things that he saw. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. Then he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's what Jesus is working on. That's one of the things he's doing besides building the church. He's doing multiple things. He's also preparing a new home, a new Jerusalem. The cool thing about heaven is if, if you died now and you're in Christ, you will go to heaven to be with Jesus, and the angels, people. But in the end, we're not going to heaven. Heaven's coming to us. Jesus is coming down, and we're going to go meet him in the sky, but in the same way a conquering king at that time would, would come back to the city, and everyone would leave the city to go meet him and go with him back into the city celebrating. That's what it's going to be like. We're not going to like, you know, explode up into the sky and disappear and go off to heaven somewhere. We're going to go up into the sky and meet our king and then return with him to earth and receive new bodies, and live in a new place. That's Revelation 21, 1 and 2. So that's the rest of the inheritance. That's the quadrillion dollars. There's a lot of good things that come along with 
that new city and that new place with Jesus. But what we see is Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, promise fulfilled. Jesus also promises this inheritance. And what I wrote in your notes is the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit guarantees that the other promise, an eternal inheritance, will be fulfilled. And what Ephesians 1.14 shows us that if you've received the Spirit, that's your ticket. That's your ticket to this new world, to this new inheritance when Jesus returns. It says, the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The King James Version says the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. That's a pretty good word for it. It's the earnest of our inheritance. What's, what's, what's an earnest money? When we uh, made our bid on this building, and we bought this from Habitat for Humanity, and they owned it for like less than a year. They got it from another church. And when we made the bid on the building, it was a miracle how it came together. It was like we found out like a couple days before the bid was actually due. And so we made this bid on this building, and um, they asked us if we could put down earnest money. And they wanted to know that we had the funds. I mean, we were like a really young church plant, but by God's grace, we had been able to save up some money. We were like, yeah, we could, put, we could definitely put some earnest money down. And what we were saying is, we can cover this. Like, we'll put down this percentage, and just to show you, by good faith, that, yeah, we can cover the rest of these payments. That's what God is saying about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is our earnest payment. He is, in a sense, a down payment that guarantees we will receive the rest of our inheritance in due time. Now, he's much more than that. But he's a guarantee for us. Now, I want to talk about inheritance quickly here. Um, so, similar to a trust fund, and these are in your notes too, our inheritance comes in two types of installments. You have the partial inheritance, which is the regular ongoing you know, payments to help us live on now. So there are aspects of the Holy Spirit that God himself is helping boost us through this life and all the stuff that comes at us. He's going to help us not lose our composure in the face of the messes that come our way. In a sense, to never be desperate again, to never feel hopeless again, to never feel a word that's being used now for the world because of the pandemic and now the, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and that part of the world and how it's affecting the global economy. One of the words that's being used is languishing. We don't languish. In Christ, you don't have to languish. That's the partial inheritance. The complete inheritance is a final lump sum installment in which we receive the entire remaining amount of the trust fund, and that is when Jesus returns and makes everything perfect and great, and you, the little tiny bits and particles of joy that you experience now when everything seems to be going right, before you begin to worry when the other shoe's gonna drop, before you begin to worry like, this is too good, I feel too good right now, something bad's gonna happen. Like that moment where everything feels right, that's gonna be 
It's going to be a million times better than that, and you're going to have an ever-increasing joy. You can't even imagine, like, you can't even imagine what it's going to be like. That's going to be the quadrillion dollars. That's what we're going to receive as our complete inheritance when Jesus returns. And for the remainder of the message, I want, to, I want us to think for just a moment about the partial inheritance. That is, the things we are given by the Spirit to live on now until Jesus comes back with the remaining inheritance. And honestly, friends, you know, it would profit you enormously if you would spend the rest of your life studying out and unpacking and pulling on that thread of what is our inheritance in Christ? What's available to us? What has God given us? And you have to like shake yourself out of a little bit of the um, church slumber that we get into when, when everything becomes stale about our faith with Christ. You gotta work through that. And the way you work through it is by discovering, studying, exploring, imagining. What has God made available to me now? and what will be made available to me when he comes back. You know, one of the saddest things about Christians is we don't make use of the resources available to us. Even, like, especially in discipleship, we're trying to help people grow, and just, we don't make use of the resources. You're living on $3 million a month, and you're eating Taco Bell every night. You should be at City Square Steakhouse for dinner every single night. Why wouldn't you? We have so much more available to us. And you can see it on our faces that we just don't know it or we don't believe it. That's the hardest part about discipleship. If you could begin to grasp right now the implications of your current inheritance in Christ, it would change you in your seat. You would be different instantly if you could see it and you'd walk out of here a different person life could be falling to pieces all around you and there would be this indomitable force inside of you called christian joy that expands to meet the pressure that's coming at us from the outside even in suffering you know, because there's still storms in life and there's still messes that happen to us. There's still hard things that happen to us. But Christian joy is like the sun that's breaking through the storm clouds shining on you. And that's a little bit of an artistic picture of what is available to us. And I pray that God would wake my heart up to it. And yours too. So I want to give you a teaser because the truth is, I, w I was getting really giddy about this. I wrote that in my pastor's note. I was getting really excited because this is, some of these things are crazy, 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 crazy good. And I decided, like, there's not an, I don't even want to get into it today because we're going to get into it next week. So y'all going to come back next week. Please come back, my friends from Wadsworth, next week um, because we're going to get into some very, very specific ways that God is helping us out through the Spirit right now. And I'm going to try to do it in a way that it's, it doesn't sound dull, because it isn't dull. So I want to take an extra week to think about those things, but I'm going to give you a teaser. There's a line in Dallas, Willard, Dallas Willard's book called Divine Conspiracy. 
and he's talking about people who have received Christ, who have received this inheritance. He says, Jesus brings us the assurance that the universe is this perfectly safe place for us to be. The universe right now, as it is, is a perfectly safe place for us to be if you're in Christ. Now, you remove this trust fund inheritance, that line doesn't make any sense. It's crazy talk. Does the universe feel like a safe place to you right now? Or does it feel like we're in a little bit of a fragile situation where we're not really sure how this thing is going to end over there? Or in my personal life? Or with my job? Or with the lingering economic effects of what's happening in other places? If you've received the Spirit as a down payment, it doesn't matter doesn't matter. There's a crazy pastor, they call him the hillbilly pastor, he's in Columbus, and I've spent a lot of time with this guy, and he's, he is very, very eccentric. He's one of those guys that, like, if you talk to other pastors at this church, um, they, <laughs> they've got all they have is stories about him, he's wild. One day he was, um, they were telling me the story about, you'll hear a pop, when he's working at the, the church office every now and again, you'll just hear this pop, and they'll run into his office, and he'll be standing like this, and put his rifle, he has a 22, and he just shot this squirrel that's eating the food from his bird feeder outside of his window at the church office. He, he, this is in Columbus. This is close to campus. And he, he's just a, he's a wild dude. Um, and he takes, he takes this big group of people, like college students and young adults, he takes them to Holden Beach. He used to do this every year. I think they got kicked out of these places, though. But he would take all these people to Holden Beach, like literally hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, one time there was, a, there was a hurricane coming in, and they were trying to you know, gather all the students up and all the leaders up and move them inland a little bit, and, because they were right there. It was coming at them, and they couldn't find Dennis. It was like, where the heck is Dennis? Somebody find him. So they went out, and there's like this outcrop, these, these rocks that go out into the water, and He's like standing on the last water, the last rock sticking out of the water, and he's just like praising God. Like he's like saying, Take me now in your glory. Like he's like, I am ready to be with you right now. What more better, romantic, amazing way than to just get caught up in a hurricane and be with Jesus? Like, don't do that. That's absolutely nuts. But the point is, like, he is, he gets it though. Like, he absolutely gets it. This idea that the universe is a perfectly safe place to be. Because worst case scenario, what happens? He's going to have a crazy ride, and then he's going to be with Jesus right away. And I don't, I don't suggest that. I don't even condone that. It's a really bad idea. You stay as long as God has things, you to, things for you to do. He'll tell you when to go. He'll make it clear. But like, that's tempting fate and all sorts of really bad things. Um, not fate. You know what I mean. But when you're in Christ, you're not afraid of stuff like that. Like The fear begins to dissolve. And I think for me, what makes a this might make a little bit more sense. Um, something as silly as I used to be afraid of getting airplanes and getting in airplanes because I always I was afraid something's going to go wrong. It doesn't make sense. We're up in the air this high. I don't know how this is working. Um, and then I got to this place. I think I'm actually at a place now. If if I'm in an airplane and it starts to descend, it starts to go down. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And those are really silly, lighthearted, easy examples. 
But you can relate to that, can't you? I mean, there's things you're afraid of. There's things that you don't want to happen. There's situations that you could be in life where you might lose your composure a little bit. And what I'm trying to say is you don't have to. If it's true that the most loving person in the universe lives in you in the form of the Holy Spirit, he's also the most powerful person in the universe. And he's also committed to making sure that everything turns out right for you. Then what are you afraid of? Next week, we're going to tease out um, some, actually, a lot more serious examples of this and some, some serious benefits that we have in this partial inheritance that we've received in the Spirit. But I want you to begin to imagine what life would be like if you knew everything was going to turn out right. If you knew that God was for you. And not just for you, but with you. Let's pray about that. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.